Hello and welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. As always, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome back, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us this week as we dive into a new topic in the wonderful world of gaming and game design and all that fun stuff, right? Uh, this is kind of a topic that we've been talking about for a while on the back end, not really in the episodes too much, because it's something that we've both were very passionate about and wanted to kind of bring it out and just figure out exactly how to portray this topic that we want to go over. And it actually does remind me of our little mini series that we did um, on the game mechanics, right? Like mm -hmm. kind of doing deep dives into that. And I feel like this falls into that same kind of realm. So if you guys really enjoyed those conversations like we did, uh, then you'll be right at home with this week's episode. But for that, we are going to be talking about the wonderful world of storytelling in games, right? And storytelling in games can come in very different methods, different ways, uh, whether it's straight up narrative that's being spouted to you, it's text boxes, it's dialogue, you know, all that typical stuff. But then there are also these things that happened for the player as far as like choices that need to be made, right? And some of the typical things, the obvious ones that we know, like think your Bioshocks or your Detroit becoming human, right? Whenever you have a choice that's be to be made, you're often prompted with a couple of choices on the screen. And then you click the corresponding button and then the action is performed. And you're able to see that you're... I guess, the effect of your decisions instantly, right? And it, it gives you that like instant gratification. But there's another side to choice making in games that we both feel is a little bit stronger and it gives so much more to games. It helps flush them out even if the player is unaware that these things are happening at all. And those are the invisible choices. And that really just all comes back to this over-encompassing idea of environmental storytelling. It is the world that helps tell the story to the player rather than it just being spoon-fed to them throughout their gameplay, right? And there's a there's a big difference between these two things because the crazy part about environmental storytelling, at least just to kind of speak on it real quickly, is the fact that it can be easily missed by the players, whereas these blatant choices that they have to make are not missed at all. It is right there in their face. They click the corresponding button. Boom. Here's the cause and effect. Right. It's very obvious. And it continues the narrative on. But some of these decisions that you make in a game could be very mundane. Like, where do you set up your camp? Or what person do you talk to in a village? They could seem like almost nothing tasks, but then change the course of the game completely without the player even knowing. And there's some really amazing history behind this whole premise, this whole idea. And it's, I don't know, there's, the more we look into it, the more fascinating it becomes, right? Like, there's just, mm -hmm. there's a lot to this. And I feel like this is a great tool to have in your game maker, like, it's like, like a, as a game maker, like, just to keep in your back pocket, is to create these choices and decisions that the player might not see directly, right? Or at least create situations in which the player has alternative actions to solve a single problem. But don't make each solution obvious. 
right? There's a lot of games that do that where they prompt you with a situation and there's an obvious way to handle it, right? If you're in a shooter, you're going to shoot your way through. But there are some games that give you that choice where you can go like a pacifist route, like in Cuphead, right? And that gives you like a completely different challenge and stuff like that. Or it just gives you just alternative actions to perform as a player, but you would never know unless you fully explore the world around you and kind of push the game to the limits of what it is allowing you to do. So I know that was kind of a lot, <laughs> but mm -hmm. throwing at you at once, but that's the amazing thing about environmental storytelling or these invisible choices that the players are making while playing these games is that they can really enhance and just give the players so much more than what they might even know they're getting, right? Like it's it's kind of a weird thing to do. And it almost feels like a potential waste of resources, you know? Like let's say the player doesn't even realize that they're doing it. Is it worth it? Or all these potential choices that could be done, they spent the time coding it or animating it and stuff like that, but the player might not ever see it. So what is the importance of this? And uh, oh, we can go into that a little bit later in the episode, but why don't you take it away, Chris? I know you got some history behind this, some really interesting stuff for our listeners. Well, I do like the, you know, I was actually thinking about that the other day was like how games are now doing like passivist run options, you know, in games. Mm -hmm. Cause that back in the day, it, I felt like it wasn't really possible or you didn't really see it. Right. Like it was just kind of like it like said pacifist, but like it it didn't feel like, you know, I think about like Undertale where it's like you could pretty much go the whole game without killing anybody. And it's yeah. a totally different story. But um I'm I look at like storytelling from the environment kind of like in the way a lot more uh I think people like what we we're kind of used to, right? With like notes or books that you find on the ground like a lot of like like fallout uh bioshock um, horizon zero dawn Friends, like all of those right yeah. it's Your dead a lot of times yeah. i think we see it a lot like in smaller studios but triple a games you know they they do throw those in there obviously um but they also can provide the deeper storytelling through actual character models and mocap and all that kind of stuff. Whereas a lot of these smaller studios, this is how they tell a story because they don't have the money to throw out there for, you know, actors or, you know, doing the camera for the mocap stuff like that. So for them throwing little history tidbits out there, it makes more sense. And I was doing some research and it seemed like a lot of people, for some reason, a lot of journalists keep saying, oh, Bioshock was the first game to really show the world environmental storytelling the right way. But a game that I had played once before, well, I played a little bit of it back in the day, uh, was called System Shock. And there is an enhanced version, which if anybody's out there is interested in this game, I highly recommend it with some mods because it's a very i don't say archaic it i mean if you like doom the original look it's a lot like that it's just the hud is very uh squished but you can get rid of it but um speaking of doom it was actually being developed at the same time and 
a lot of people looked at it as like, well, Doom is the action game versus System Shock, which is the story and puzzle and, you know, like an actual, I don't want to say game, because I mean, Doom is a game, but, you know, there's actual story and System Shock. But something not like interesting. The, the perfect correlation of like that argument, right? Of what's more important. Like Doom <laughs> is just a straight gameplay game, right? Yeah. Whereas System Shock would have, is has more of a narrative base to it. So it kind of puts those two on the same playing field, right? Of that of that debate that we had previously. So, exactly. That's actually a good point. I didn't even think about that. Um, and I mean, it didn't help that System Shock, I think, was PC only, and it's only been PC, so it didn't reach like a wider audience as Doom did. But I also think a lot of people might be overwhelmed by system shock because there's so much to it that doesn't hold your hand like we're used to in a lot of games uh it takes place on a space station uh you're there and there's no humans at all and this was actually uh it was designed to be like that uh they interviewed the developer and they said that they didn't know how to create conversations between NPCs and the player and just in general. So they basically wrote in the story, like all the humans are dead on this and you need to find out why this AI has gone rogue. And so that's a really sorry, I, I know that I'm breaking up your tangent here, but like, no, it's fine. It's a really great way. Like, I love that so much because they don't know how to do something. They ended up like bending the will of the game to still create what they have. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and I, I love that idea. I mean, it's the same concept of like, you know, stress or, um, lack of resources breeds creativity because then you get creative with the tools that you currently have. And mm -hmm. I, I absolutely love that. Like that's such a great like theology or mindset to have when it comes to not just making games, but any projects that you're currently working on, right? Like I, I use that at work right now where it, we have X amount of tools at my disposal and without having to spend a, a gregarious amount of money, right? Like how can I make these certain programs work? You know, like, mm -hmm. so you use the tools that you currently have, you use the knowledge that you currently have to make something. And they were just so passionate to want to make a game. They still were able to accomplish that and make something amazing with their current knowledge set. So if you ever want to make a game and you feel like you don't know enough, well, you do, right? You just got to be creative with the tools that you currently have. But anyway, I digress. Go for it. <laughs> It's true, though. I mean, it's interesting because what they, the finished product, it, you wouldn't think that they wouldn't know how to do a conversation because there's so many audio logs and emails and stuff that you find. And it's like what is being said feels real. And I feel like if characters were there with dialogue, it, it really would take away from the setting and the story. And we've all played games out there where you can tell a dialogue is just, it, sometimes it feels like a bot made it, right? Like it's just not good sometimes. And so to be like, well, I don't want to make made up conversations that don't sound good and they're just wasting time. I think it's a great idea. Like it really, it really worked. 
you know, and I almost feel like I wish sometimes modern developers would think like that Mm -hmm. rather than having to fill things in to hold the player's hand, just like let the scene breathe, right? Like Mm -hmm. you look at movies and a lot of foreign films, they let scenes breathe. Mm -hmm. They don't need that constant action, that constant telling you what's happened. You just see the frame and it's like this cold wintry scene and you just you know what's happening and it's it's more impactful but like with system films man like they oh he does that brilliantly like he's able to really like compose an emotion in like a still frame image almost right and it's Mm -hmm. yeah that you just like you would like think about it like games are just another form of media right like we went over this in the debate episode as well actually <laughs> where it's the whole idea of creating that narrative but using the tools that you currently have right like a game narrative is different than a movie one but you still need those proper ebbs and flows throughout the game so it sometimes it's nice to be able to just walk across a field and not get bombarded with 5 million different side quests to distract the players, right? Just because you want to show that we have the tools and the resources to fill the game completely, right? Sometimes you don't need that. And it takes a very clever editing eye to, you know, cut back on these unnecessary resources that are just going to muddy the whole message that you're trying to get across right it, it, mm-hmm. I don't know. it's it's very yeah i love that stuff it's great <laughs> it, it's interesting because system shock was actually the first game ever to do audio logs oh wow uh, so they kind of you know sparked this whole thing right and it's interesting because this game is old you know, it's early 90s, like 92, I think it was being developed and released in 94. And the amount of work, like you look at it and you're like, wow, this, it, it really does feel like the foundation of a lot of modern games. I mean, it basically was the uh, inspiration for, you know, like Half-Life or Deus Ex. I mean, the code that's used to open a safe uh zero four five one is used in many games mm. uh as like a, a homage to it. I think even some movies they do it too, just because it's like it's so influential. It's it's weird because you f- I feel like no one ever talks about this game, which it makes sense. Like older PC games were very closed off you know i I always think back like you know before the 2000s if you were a pc gamer like you were that that kid in the basement just like you know dark room with your your Mm -hmm. big crt monitor like just like an outcast you know which sucks because early pc games games are amazing most of these games were found on just random discs that you got right like yeah there was just a bunch of like shovelware that got put out there and it's like oh here's a disc with 10 different games and some there is a lot of hidden gems on those games and you think about it too like this that title is 30 years old now right Mm -hmm. it's a 30 year old pc game that never really like it went anywhere else than the PC, you know? So yeah, it's a shame that stuff like this is getting lost. It's, you know, they are, uh, I think they did kickstart it, but they're going to make it. So it's on modern consoles. Like they're going to give it the whole like triple a look and mm, that's great. everything. So uh, that's exciting. But looking 
at it, it didn't just inspire a lot of those sci-fi games. The way they did the storytelling, you can really feel it in a lot of indie titles as well, or smaller studios. Uh, the the team behind Gone Home and Tacoma, they really like quote that game as being, you know, an inspiration for them. Because I don't know if any like you played I think you said you played Gone Home, but yeah. like I played it and I always heard really mixed things about it. A lot of people were like, oh, this game's too short to be a game, like all this kind of stuff. And I was like, you know what, I'll give it a try. And I did. And I liked what it had. I like that, you know, it's just you're walking through a house, just learning about what happened there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way the environment of, like, the weather outside coincides with a letter you read. Like, it was, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought. Because a lot of these kind of games where there's no action, I don't want to say walking simulator because a lot of them are more than that. But, you know gone home what remains of edith finch uh even the witness like all these games that they don't need dialogue trees at you they don't need like actors coming up to you and telling you about what's happening in the world like it's so awesome to just play a game and you know either you're doing a puzzle that revolves around the trees or just reading different notes left behind from people that have lived there it's it's crazy. Like years ago, I hated these kind of games. And I'm being honest, like I did not like these kind of games because I wanted everything like to be like a movie. You know, I wanted all spoon fed. I want to just like turn my brain off and just escape. But the past maybe like three years or so, I've been really into these kind of games and it just, each one I play, like all these well-known ones it just makes me love it even more like definitely after playing journey uh like a year ago it i was like oh my god like i understand it i can see why people love this game like it it just made sense because before that i was like oh it's it's a beautiful game but i mean it's just it's like your typical game like that but i'm like no like it actually it tells you so much without telling you anything yeah and there's so many games that do that now, but I feel like we're at a point where these games are just getting really good at it. You know, it's, there's so many good titles that are in this kind of genre, you know, Firewatch, all of that. And yeah, Firewatch is great at the way it displays its story to you, right? Like definitely presents things and it allows the player, like it almost encourages the player to explore the different ways of handling these situations, you know? Mm-hmm. And like you might not see anything that or any differences between your choices or you would might not even know that there are other choices to be made. And like that's what I loved about Firewatch and kind of harkening back to on like these ideas of these games being too short to be called a game. Like I think that nowadays our expectations of titles are changing right and we're becoming more open to games as an experience as something like that could be bite-sized as long as it's able to get a a strong message across right like uh for instance that dragon called cancer 
right? That, that game is mm-hmm. so impactful. It's done such amazing things for the community. And if you guys haven't heard about this one, um, we have talked about it before, but way, way, way long ago, I think it was in our depression episode, which is like episode two, which is crazy now, right? Yeah. But <laughs> that one, it, it was developed by two game designers who recently lost their son. And this the game's rather relatively short, but the feelings and the mood and the impact that it was able to make, not just for the designers as a way to deal and cope with their depression of losing their child, but allowing other family mem- other families uh, be able to cope with loss and depression in different ways. It didn't have to directly correlate with a child having cancer, right? Like it, it was able to break those boundaries, I guess, right? And I, I feel like these little bite-sized experiences are great to absorb, right? To enjoy and take in. Like all games don't need to be 40 plus hour crazy long games oh, yeah. with like millions of side quests. While those are still fun and just like you, when I was younger, I wanted those longer games. I wanted the kitchen sink games because I wanted to feel like I was getting my money's worth. But now, like, it's the same thing as if you were going to a movie, right? Like, there's some foreign films that I'll watch that are, like, an hour and a half, and I'm, like, bawling my eyes out. I'm like, I absolutely love this movie. This is amazing. The experience of it, right? Like, why can't that same idea correlate with video games, right? Like, why can't we have, you know, a two-hour game that you just get something amazing out of, or it makes you look at the world in a different way and still accept that fact, right? And just embrace it and celebrate it. So I I think we're starting to kind of go into that direction with all these newer, like, indie titles, but it's still an area that I feel like we can do a lot more with. Because I think people um, are just afraid, you know, to really break it down. I think so, too. Uh, when it comes to, like, the length of a game to tell a story, uh, I got actually a few examples because a few of them are actually, like, games what I'm playing right now. Mm-hmm. But for me, a game that, you know, hearing the length of it is making me, uh, making it hard for me to buy it is Sifu. It looks beautiful. I mean, it's not story heavy, but I heard it's, like, maybe a four-hour long game, and I'm like, well, four hours for $40, that's that's a lot of money, yeah, you know? it's a little pricey, but, but if then, you're able to get something out of it, right? Exactly. But then I think about a game that has too much, right? Uh, I've been playing Last of Us 2. And the Witcher. <laughs> the Witcher, at least, like, I, I can get. Like, I enjoyed it. I spent a lot of time in that. Right. Uh, but I'm going to get to those kind of games in a minute. Okay. When it comes to, like, The Last of Us 2, well... I wasn't totally like blown away by the first game like everyone else. Sorry. But, and I knew going into this game, the controversy behind it. And, you know, I can look past that, right? I'm I'm going because I want to experience the world, which the world in this game, like it's so, it's crafted so beautifully, right? Like you're walking through Seattle and it's just, you know, there's zombies, there's people that you can't, you got to be careful and just, you see like the world and you can see that it was lived in, right? Like people mm-hmm. leave notes and then sometimes you find them going to other houses because they had notes left around there too. And mm-hmm. I love that aspect, but the story is too long. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I'm at 20 hours now and I'm like maybe a little more than halfway through and I'm just sitting there like, 
the game could have ended by now. Like, there comes a point where, you know, you can make a really beautiful world, but if you're not capturing people with a story or a reason to keep going, then what's the point, Mm -hmm. right? And something that I thought about just now, and you brought that up with, you know, like The Witcher and stuff, games that are really long and have multiple choices for different endings, I used to love those. But nowadays, it's really hard for me to fully experience the game because I don't want to spend 40 hours playing through one way and then missing the other. Like, Mm -hmm. I'll make a separate save file for if there's two different routes, right? Because then now I don't have to start all over. But I'm starting to really enjoy these shorter games like, you know, the Dark Pictures Anthology, like Man of Madon, House of Ashes, where... It's bite size. It's like four hours, right? But and it's all dialogue choices. But it being only four hours or less, it's much easier for me to sit back and replay it and see it play a different way. Because mm-hmm. I'm not spending like weeks trying to get through it and see a different story. And I understand people like long stories of different choices. I mean, it's just like a book, you know. It's you get enveloped in it, yeah. but. To an extent, some games are just too damn long for no reason. Like, I I get it. You want to tell a story, but sometimes there's just too much filler in a game. And it could have ended, like, 10 hours sooner or 20 hours sooner. And it, I feel like, for me, that's been really, like, hard for me. I, I love long games, but lately I feel like I can really see that towards the end of a game, they really... I had a hard time trying to think how are we going to either end this or how can we make the story as interesting as it was in the beginning. Right. I think another big thing too, to think about with like some of these games that do have multiple endings. Like I remember my first experience with that was fable, right? Mm. And that game, like you have to redo all of the same things, right? Yep. But there's just one certain thing you do to get a different ending, right? And there's a lot of games like that where it's just like one basic thing that changes the ending for the entire game, but then everything else leading up to it is exactly the same. So you're forcing the players to play through the same experience again after they just spent, you know, 40 plus hours doing it. And that's not engaging. That's not exciting for the players whereas some of these games that have the choices a little bit more hidden and they let the world evolve around the player Mm -hmm. it feels more natural that way and it still keeps the experience exciting right like whether it's something like joining a particular faction versus another one right if you if you join one faction then you get that side storyline and you learn about these different characters and their struggles and whatever it may be and then you can go back and play and join the other faction and now learn about their side right where it, i like those kind of stories because it shows you that there is no true good or bad side everyone is just fighting or trying to survive based on their own specific ideals and it's just it might be a clash of ideals or it might be a clash of perspective you know like little things like that and i can't think of a game off the top of my head that runs into that maybe you can think of one but like those kind of like choices i feel like i've seen a lot in games and they do like they do at least add to the replayability of the title itself and it 
it's it's more subtle that way, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of it just being like, oh, you didn't, you know, do the side quest for this one lady at the village, so you're going to get the bad ending. Or, hey, you did the side quest and you brought her back her shoes, now you're going to get the good ending, right? But, like, everything leading up to that, like, it's such a blatant choice to do. And then everything after that is just exactly the same. So it's it's almost like, why am I going to replay this again when I can just now watch a video on the good ending and the bad ending, right? And then also exactly. the fact that you have to know beforehand. So it's almost forcing the players mm-hmm. to actually look for spoilers before they even start playing a game so they can map out their their gameplay, right? So they can experience certain things. But that takes away the magic because they already know what's going to happen. So what really is the point of having the choices be laid out like that? And where's the excitement in it unless you're just trying to 100% something just to say you did it? right like there's you're you're ruining and muddying the experience of discovering the world and these like these story points i guess right it's just mm-hmm. i don't know there's there's a lot to that and that's why i think like these more invisible choices or like the way that the world evolves around you based on the things that you've done or accomplished is a little bit like it's it's organic it's real it it makes it more immersive but it doesn't take away or make you feel like you're repeating your actions again and again just to get the endings no i don't know it's a lot it also feels a lot of times games with different endings it doesn't feel like they're that different from each other either sometimes like like Fable really saying, wasn't that different <laughs> at all. No, it wasn't. It, you know, there's games nowadays out there that they do make it feel different. And the thing that I wish is that a lot of these games that have like side quests that could alter the, the end, it doesn't per se alter the end. It's just during the credits when they're telling you about all the things that you've done or neglected. It's mm, just like, oh, yeah. and you did save this person and now they have like a kindergarten. It's like, like, that's that's nice, cool, but I it guess. doesn't really, you know, do anything for the story. Like, it'd be cool if, like, things you did really did impact. Like, if you actually got to revisit that town later in the game and you saw that person now having mm-hmm. the kindergarten and, you know, like, rebuilding their society, like, at least it made it, that would make it feel like your choices meant something instead of mm-hmm. it just being an after credit scene. I totally agree with you on that one. Like, I am a person that loves choices in games, and that was always kind of a pet peeve to me. You know, I think about like the Dragon Age games that did it, and I mean, they're, Dragon Age is a good game, but the dialogue is just like at the end, I'm like, okay, credit roll, let's see the ending. And it's just like, I feel like, okay, aside from the main actual ending, that's the only thing really worth seeing. Like, mm-hmm. helping these side people didn't really do anything except for adding one more screen of text right which nowadays i feel like games with just one ending are fine for me i don't need to see different endings you know it was it was cool in mass effect where you did see a difference between paragon and renegade Mm -hmm. for the most part like i thought that was awesome but a lot of times games just don't make it too different or they make it like typical you know you look at infamous and it's just I don't know. It I like change games. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like make it so it's at least an ending or have stuff added to it. But 
the other, like what you said about people not knowing beforehand, I almost always nowadays, well, I stopped myself recently. I'll look up like best ending to see if a game yeah. even has that option. Yeah. And if it does, then I'm like, should I try to find a spoiler free way of, you know, getting the best ending? Because, you know, we're, we're busy people like, you know, like, we're in a day and age where we can't really just sit there and devote like 40, a hundred hours trying to get all the endings. I want to see the best ending I can mm-hmm. because one, I paid for it and two, because time is precious. Right. And for me, it's not so much like, you know, my time is precious because I'm doing a whole lot of other stuff. I mean, I am, and especially with a kid on the way, that's definitely another reason. Yeah. But, I have so many other games. (laughs) Yeah. I have so many other games I want to play too that I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn the difficulty down a little bit just to get through this a lot faster. Or, you know, I want to see the best ending. But going back to another thing you said, maybe the past year, I've just played the game without looking for a best ending. And when I beat it, I'll just go on YouTube and watch the best ending. And honestly... For me, if anyone out there is strapped on time, it works. You know, the only thing a bummer is, okay, I'm not going to see the ending with my custom made character, which, you know, if you have a cool character, it's a bummer. But, you know, I think it's more true to your experience because you're getting the ending that you earned. Right. And then you can kind of just see like, oh, cool. There's other ways of playing this game. That's kind of fun. And maybe down the line, you know, a few years later, you pick it back up and you try and do something different than you would normally do. But I, I feel like it's much better to go into a game blind like that, mm-hmm. where it's it, you just play the game as you normally would and you're going to get the ending that you earned through your gameplay. Yeah. And then if there's other endings, like, cool, like that just gives you a reason to hold on to that title or at least keep it in the back of your mind. So that, because, I mean, how many times have you gone back to a game that you played before in the past, right? Like, I've done it a lot, and I keep doing mm-hmm. it because I am now thinking about games in a different way or whatever it may be, or maybe there's a different ending, or, like, I didn't realize that, you know, the choices I made actually affected anything, so now I want to actually see this and test that out. So it's there's a lot to that, and I, I just say, like, Buy the game and play it as you would, right? Don't buy the game and play it as if you're trying to get the best ending that's determined by somebody random on the internet, right? Like yeah. the best ending is the one that you got because it's based on the choices that you made. So, yeah. But I do want to touch on something that I mentioned earlier. And I would say mm-hmm. it's kind of the bad side of these invisible choices where the environmental story uh, telling and it's the the fact that it is very resource heavy, right? So some mm. of these smaller studios might not be able to accomplish these tasks, and maybe that's why some of these more these indie games are a little bit more straightforward because they don't have the resources to dump into potential like all these other alternative routes because that takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of scripting and coding. So that maybe one person sees it, you know, and then makes a YouTube video out of it and then like no other person experiences it, you know, like so it, it 
you can say that's kind of similar to Easter eggs in games, right? Where you put something mm-hmm. hidden in there, but that is something small. Usually it's very like quick. It's nothing too crazy or like I said, resource heavy. Whereas adding in a bunch of different choices for the players to make different ways to accomplish these certain tasks or solve these puzzles, that adds in a lot of extra material that you need to script and plan out for. And that's a little bit trickier. You know, and some studios might not be able to do it. Taking it back to, you know, the game that you mentioned earlier, like they made a game based off of the resources and the like the knowledge that they currently had and made something strong out of it. So I think like that's like, yes, there is the bad side of this, but there's a way to spin it. Right. So mm-hmm. what what's your thoughts on that? Like, because I think that environmental storytelling is a great way of doing it but sometimes it might not be the most financially feasible way of accomplishing the goal i think when you first mentioned like you know what if they incorporate something that players just overlook or don't see and it feels like it might be a waste um there's been many times where i felt that in the game where i wouldn't have noticed that if i didn't look at a like an article about it you know it's and i think a lot of games do that Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because as more and more people make videos on these kind of topics you're realizing like people really do put a lot of work in a lot of these games it's just we're so used to just following that path that is laid out in front of us that we forget to see everything around it Mm -hmm. and it's interesting if you really just take your time and just walk around and look like there's so much that they put out there that you don't think it adds to the story, but just the setting or just even like, you know, think about, I don't know, Resident Evil 7 when you're walking through that house and it's just certain things are broken, certain things are scuzzy and just, you know, it it really adds to the vibe. And it, for the most part, it's not like you have to, you know, stop and stare at it, but it's just being part of the scene, part of the area. It really adds and tells you about the story. Or even and, talking to every NPC in a village, right? Like, mm-hmm. especially in RPG, there's a lot of text dialogue in there and there's a lot of houses that you can go into and chat with these people. And when you do, you kind of get the vibe of the town, right? You see, like, where everyone's yeah. mental state, what's going on, if there's a war going on, how are they reacting to it, what's their stressors. But you don't have to do that, right? And that's mm-hmm. a lot of work and dialogue that was written like somebody spent hours writing that dialogue for a player to just maybe never even see it to just breeze right past it and continue with the main story itself yeah yeah it's it is a bummer because yeah i remember growing up i used to always talk to all the npcs in the village and nowadays like i don't really do it like i i try to um like i've been playing uh fantasian because I forgot I had Apple Arcade. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, I'm going to talk to all the NPCs. And it's it feels good because I feel like I don't do that anymore. And it's interesting how, you know, like, they actually are talking, like, saying relevant stuff. You know, I think back to some of the older RPGs where either it was just really useless banter or it was 
just something really, really like thrown in there or it was a hint, you right. know, and it's, there's so much out there in games that we don't, we take for granted, I guess you could say that we expect it to be there, but do we actually like go through it and all that? No, you know, I bet you there's people out there, but I don't read every log I find. I mean, honestly, a lot of games nowadays, like say Skyrim and stuff, you pick up a book, you pick up any kind of like letter. I barely read it unless it gives me a quest, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's, it's sad because I know people put a lot of work into this and, you know, for them, they know there's people out there that will read it and go through it. I remember there was a guy cataloging every damn book in the Skyrim and copying it. And I'm like, you know, there's fans out there. There's people that, you know, they're going to find that. And that person who wrote it or scripted it, they'll be happy, you know, because someone found it. And so for me, I'm like, you know what? If I don't read every damn book, that's fine because I'm enjoying the rest of the game. But just knowing it's there and flipping through the pages, it just feels good and makes me it. It tells the story without having to be cinematic or mm, anything, yeah. right? It tells me about the world around you. And it's such an awesome feeling because I feel like for the longest time, I didn't think like that when it came to a game. So I feel like with time, I've definitely matured and I've, I've come to really enjoy environmental storytelling because I always just looked at it as like, you know, the typical AAA way where it's like, flashy cutscenes and characters like telling you everything and just i would put everything else to the side i wouldn't do it but nowadays i really dig and read especially if i enjoy the game and it's it's totally different it's making me love games more than what i than how i felt before and it's such a rewarding feeling and it's it's crazy what people add to the environments that you know many people probably won't see but for those that do you really get a lot more out of it Mm -hmm. yeah agreed i think that sums it up very nicely honestly (laughs) that was perfect yeah um i don't have anything else what about you um i'm I'm stepping off my soapbox cool perfect (laughs) all right you guys well that is going to do it for us for this episode. We hope you enjoyed this little conversation as we dive more into the idea of environmental storytelling. And like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, we feel that this is a wonderful tool to carry in your back pocket when designing games or even when just designing different, like even curriculum, if you're a teacher or just trying to plan out a project, right? Like figure out ways in which the individual can explore more and learn things on their own because those moments are going to be the most impactful moments for them whether it's a game a movie a you know a school lesson whatever it may be there we can definitely use the idea of environmental storytelling in a very interesting way but yeah besides that that's going to do it for us thank you thank you thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you all next week with our next exciting adventure into the world of games. All right, bye. Bye.